As we approach tax time, some important changes are afoot. Coming up, we'll talk with two experts on just how those changes might affect your flight department's tax profile. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Pete Combs with your trusted source for business aviation news. A little more than a year ago, in December 2017, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act became law, but that doesn't mean substantial work on incorporating that measure into the tax code was finished. There's a lot to talk about when it comes to how the new law, referred to as the TCJA, affects business aircraft operations. So, to help us sort all that out, I'm talking with two men whose names have become very familiar to NBAA members in recent years. John Hoover is a partner in the law firm of Holland and Knight and is vice chairman of the NBAA Tax Committee. And Gary Gasper is the Washington counsel at Ernst & Young. Gary, let's start with you. I mentioned a moment ago the TCJA and the fact that even after it was passed, we were looking at a lot of work ahead for the IRS and the Treasury Department. They're charged with analyzing, of course, the new law and issuing guidance to taxpayers. Well, how does all of that, that process, how does that work and why is that so important to the process of implementing the act? Anytime Congress passes a statute, there's always questions that are open. And many times the actual statute will direct the IRS to provide guidance or provide regulations with respect to certain unanswered questions. So in a typical uh, year when a piece of legislation is enacted, the administration being the Treasury and the IRS, and the IRS is part of Treasury, will together uh, issue guidance, primarily in the form of regulations, but there's other forms of guidance like notices and rulings that, that can also come out. But the biggest form of guidance is a regulation, and it is you know done through a, a procedural process that includes you know first issuing a proposed regulation. Uh, then getting comments from taxpayers or anybody interested, having a hearing on the proposed regulation, and then finalizing. Now, this is all done under what's known as the Administrative Procedures Act, the APA, and so it is a formal process. Um, One little wrinkle that I'd throw out there is that under the current tax code, if the administration is able to finalize and complete the whole process of finalizing a regulation, within 18 months of when the actual statute was enacted, they can actually apply the rules retroactively to when the bill was enacted. So what this treasury is trying to do is is they're trying to finalize as many regulations as possible by June of this year so that whatever the rules they put out there will apply all the way back to the date the bill was enacted in December of 2017, as you point out. So it's a tighter time frame that they're working on, and there's just a lot of work, which is why you're seeing a lot of folks uh, you know, very interested in, in working with Treasury, getting, getting the guidance out, because you know, 2018, in effect, was the first year the new laws are applying. And as you know, we're already starting to file returns for, for last year, for 2018. So people do want to know what the law is, what the guidance is, and they're you know, trying to get Treasury to work as hard as they can to get it out. John, to you now, the modification and extension 
of 100% bonus depreciation has provided some pretty significant benefits to the business aircraft market, especially when it comes to used property. While the TCJA changed the law, the NBAA had some pretty specific questions for the Treasury Department and the IRS about how those changes would be applied. And NBAA also had, if I'm right, both some questions and some responses to this new proposed regulation, right? NBAA requested guidance on three issues. Definition of property previously used by the taxpayer, the binding written contract rule for self-constructed property, and the definition of binding written contract. First, with respect to used property, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act provided that used property qualifies for bonus depreciation. However, property previously used by the taxpayer does not qualify. Thus, it is important to determine when property is considered previously used by the taxpayer. In a meeting with Joint Committee staff, we requested that an asset should only be considered used by the taxpayer if the taxpayer previously depreciated it. Following this meeting, the proposed regulations adopted this taxpayer-favorable rule. Under the proposed regulations, an aircraft is only considered used by the taxpayer if the taxpayer previously had the right to depreciate it. Therefore, aircraft that the taxpayer previously chartered or leased can still qualify for bonus depreciation. John, the TCJA has some pretty major impacts on contracts for aircraft, right? Let's talk about some of those. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act effective date provision allows 100% bonus depreciation for planes placed in service after September 27, 2017. However, if there was a binding written contract to buy the plane before that date, then the plane will not qualify for 100% bonus. If the buyer fails to qualify for 100% bonus, then he could still claim 50% bonus depreciation under prior law. The proposed regulations make it clear that having a binding written contract prior to September 27, 2017 to buy a new plane will prevent the plane from qualifying for 100% bonus depreciation. NBAA had argued that a contract to buy a new plane should be regarded as a contract to construct the aircraft for the taxpayer. Under the self-constructed property regulations, an aircraft under a binding written contract before September 27, 2017 could still meet the effective date requirement based on the date that construction of the aircraft actually begins. We explained this logic to the Joint Committee staff, but they felt strongly that having a binding written contract in place prior to September 27, 2017 to purchase or construct the plane prevents the plane from qualifying for 100% bonus depreciation. What about depreciation on future purchase contracts? Does that change the nature of aircraft depreciation? In general, 100% bonus depreciation is only available for aircraft placed in service prior to January 1, 2023. After that date, the bonus depreciation rate will phase down each year for five years. However, a one-year extension of these expiration dates is available if the buyer has binding written contract to buy the aircraft in place before the relevant expiration date. This makes it important to determine whether a contract meets the requirements to be a binding written contract. 
In the past, it has been unclear whether a contract will qualify as a binding written contract when the contract is binding on the buyer, but is deemed not binding on the seller by reason of having a liquidated damages provision that holds the seller liable for less than 5% of the contract price in the case of the seller's breach. NBAA argued that since a binding written contract does not need to be binding on the seller, a small liquidated damages provision for the seller should not matter. However, the proposed regulations merely repeat the old ambiguous definition of binding written contract. We submitted comments on the proposed regulations with respect to this issue, and I testified on behalf of NBAA at the Treasury hearing on the proposed regulations. Hopefully, the issue will be addressed in the final regulations. Gary, uh, in the prior Congress, there had been discussion of a tax reform 2.0 bill. With a new Congress, what's your outlook in terms of a second tax reform bill or additional tax legislation? And that might be exacerbated by the, by the very political split uh, of, of Congress itself now. That's a great question, Pete. And uh, there is a fundamental change in the landscape. Uh, you may remember that actually tax reform in 2017 was passed solely with Republican members of Congress, and it was done under a special procedure called uh, the budget reconciliation process, in which you only needed a simple majority in both the House and the Senate to pass it. You didn't need uh, what typically is required in legislation, which is uh, a 60-vote threshold to prevent filibusters. So under that procedure, the Republicans in the House and in the Senate could just pass the bill by a simple majority. As you know, in the election in 2018, the House of Representatives flipped to Democratic control. So the Democrats now control the House of Representatives, and therefore they are not likely and are not expected to have a similar budget reconciliation process, uh, and more importantly, are not likely to support any further you know, kind of business cuts, if you will. Um, there is interest by Democrats to potentially have some additional individual middle income tax cuts. And you've probably seen recently a number of progressives have thrown on the table, you know, dramatic changes in a state tax and a 70% tax on the wealthy, all of which will not be going anywhere, given the fact that it would have to make it through the Senate, which is still controlled by Republicans and, and signed into law by the president. But the idea of a, a broader you know, tax reform 2.0, uh, the odds of that are, are very slim. Uh, as I said, the only thing potentially that the administration and the Senate and the House could work on, you know, could be packages of, of smaller individual tax cuts, but even that, it becomes very difficult. Uh, in fact, I think what we're hearing so far is that the Democrats in the House really want to hold a whole series of hearings on tax reform, on the provisions that passed in 2017, and then potentially want to, you know, unwind some of those things or change those. So I think people are maybe more on the defense trying to prevent changes than on the offense of trying to do another 2.0 tax reform. 
John, the TCJA does not allow for the deduction of entertainment expenses related to or associated with business activities in many cases. What's this about? And how might this affect NBAA members? The entertainment disallowance was enacted in 1962 in response to situations in which the costs of entertainment activities were deducted as business expenses, even though they had only a vague or remote connection with business. The example cited in the legislative history is the sanitary farms dairy case in which a trip to Africa was deductible because the traveler showed films of the trip to customers of his dairy. The legislative history to the 1962 Act shows that Congress felt that the costs of entertainment activities should be deductible if they have a direct relationship with business. Therefore, prior to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the costs of an entertainment activity were deductible if there were substantial business discussions before, during, or after the entertainment activity. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act removed this exception for business entertainment. Now, for example, the costs of a golf game with a customer, including travel to the golf course, would be non-deductible under the entertainment disallowance. However, if there were a business meeting before or after the golf game, then the costs of traveling to the business meeting could be deductible as business expenses. To determine whether the costs of a plane trip to such a meeting-slash-golf trip is deductible may require consideration of whether the meeting or the golf game is the primary purpose for the trip. It's helpful that the IRS released Notice 2018-76, apparently taking the position that meals are not entertainment activities. Based on this notice, it appears that the costs of traveling to a meeting with a customer in a restaurant will not be disallowed as an entertainment expense just because the meeting is over a meal. Finally, John, the TCJA does not allow for the deduction of commuting expenses in a lot of cases. You had some thoughts on that? The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act provides that the costs of commuting are not deductible unless such travel is for the safety of the employee. Commuting has always been a non-business expense. However, under prior law, if a company provides a commuting flight to an employee and the civil value of the flight is reported as income to the employee, then the employer may deduct the cost of the flight as the cost of providing a compensation fringe benefit. The question under the commuting disallowance is whether the new law precludes the employer's deduction of this compensation fringe benefit. NBAA has requested guidance on the following issues. One, does the fact that the CIFL value is reported as compensation mean that the costs of providing the commuting flight can be deductible? A similarly worded spouse travel provision suggests that it does. Two, the commuting disallowance is written in terms of travel from the employee's residence to his or her place of employment. In some cases, such a trip is a business trip rather than a commuting trip. Would the commuting disallowance apply to a trip that is otherwise classified as business travel? Three, would the disallowance of commuting costs be limited to only the marginal costs of the trip? The similarly worded spouse travel provision suggests that it should be. Four, would commuting flights fall within the safety exception if they were supported by a security study recommending that the employee travel by private aircraft for security reasons? And five, 
the commuting disallowance only applies to flights provided to employees. Are flights provided to partners or 5% shareholders of S corporations protected from the commuting disallowance because such individuals are not employees for income tax purposes? That's John Hoover, a partner at Holland and Knight and vice chairman of the NBAA Tax Committee. You also heard from Gary Gasper, Washington Counsel for Ernst & Young. You'll find a lot more information about how the relatively new Tax Cuts and Jobs Act might impact your business aircraft operations at the NBAA Business Aviation Taxes Seminar. Now, that takes place in Marina del Rey, California, May 2nd and 3rd. And you'll find more information about that at nbaa.org events. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan podcasts at Apple's iTunes website, at your favorite podcast site, or you can download them from nbaa.org. I'm Pete Combs. Thanks for listening to Flight Plan.